This time we'll now read from Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Read all of Mark chapter 7 at this time. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashen hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. He shall be free, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered. And many such like things do ye. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without or outside a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into, into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, 
lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And now the words of our text in verses 24 through 30. And from thence he, that's Jesus, arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet or proper to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hands upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. That's as far as you read in God's word. May he bless us in the reading of scripture. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, our text, verses 24 through 30, these stand in contrast to the negative background of the preceding two parts of chapter 7. In verses 1 through 13, we have the, the record of the condemnation of Jesus, in which he condemns the vain or empty traditions of the Pharisees, who had rejected the word of God and, and all of their rules and regulations about how they had to even wash their hands before they could eat that bread, their hearts were far from God, far from Jehovah, far from all that God was declaring in the Old Testament sacrifices and ceremonies at the temple that their salvation was not in their work, but in the work of the one who would be sacrificed for God's people on the altar of God's justice, Jesus Christ alone. 
Then in the next section, in verses 14 through 23, Jesus speaks of the error of the Pharisees. They had rejected the word of God, and in their error, they did not understand the truth of the depravity of man. They did not understand, or they rejected, really, the truth of what the scriptures taught, that what comes out of the man, that's what makes him polluted before God. It isn't the dirty hands that makes us ceremonially unclean before God. If we were living in the Old Testament, Jesus teaches us and taught his disciples the Pharisees were wrong. What makes us unclean before God is that which comes not in the germs on our food into, our, into us, but what comes out of us. And then Jesus lists those 13 different things that come out of us. In verses 21 through 22, a very sobering, very sobering list. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, that's jealousy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And what Jesus teaches makes very clear that no man, no woman, no child ever deserves to be saved, can ever merit anything of their salvation, and cannot save himself from that wickedness and pollution and darkness within. It's not by our own power or might. Pharisees thought, well, yeah, we can make ourselves worthy of a place in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, look at all our wonderful works. And then the Lord shows this long list. That's impossible. And so the next section is inspired by the Lord to give us an illustration of those undeserving objects who receive the grace of God for the deliverance from their unbelief and sin. Those who are unworthy are illustrated by the woman Jesus meets at the border of Galilee, on the border of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus goes to northern Galilee, leaving Galilee, that is, going along the border towns of Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus taught in this passage the truth of who the true children of Abraham are, the true sons and daughters of God's covenant. And those true sons and daughters of God's covenant are not those who earn their way into his covenant or somehow deserve their salvation or somehow put themselves into the covenant by perhaps their believing or their good works. No. Those were things which the Pharisees were thinking. And the Lord, by leaving Galilee or moving to the border towns of Galilee in Tyre and Sidon, shows a sign of his judgment upon that apostasy and that evil teaching. The Lord is warning them in his departure briefly, the end, of, the end is coming when the word will be taken from you and you will be destroyed for that evil teaching that you maintain in rejection of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus shows at the border of Tyre and Sidon, these are the people to whom the word of the gospel goes. According to God's purpose, these are the people whom God saves. This woman, undeserving, unworthy, unable to save herself or her daughter from the paganism in which they were in bondage. And yet to them and to this woman and her daughter, the Lord works salvation through faith so that she knows her unworthiness. She knows she doesn't deserve it. And she knows she is unable to save herself or even her daughter from the darkness of sin and unbelief into the light of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Do we not also desire that word to be worked in us? A word by which our faith is aroused, the faith of which Christ is the author and finisher, is aroused within us to the understanding of exactly what the woman understood. And a faith which is aroused by the word of God so that we fix our eyes upon that finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a faith out of which there comes forth a life which is fruitful in thankfulness and praise unto him. A life in which we are consecrated unto God according to his word. May God grant that to us, that desire, as we consider this text under the theme, the faith of the Syrophoenician mother. Sometimes this text is called, section is called the, the Syrophoenician woman. She's more than just a woman. She is a mother. The faith of the Syrophoenician mother in great distress. So that first of all, she is tried. Her faith is tried. And secondly, her faith is expressed and then finally, her faith is confirmed by the miracle which Jesus does perform. There is this mother who came to Jesus in a house in Tyre and Sidon. And in spite of the great multitudes that thronged around him, she was able to gain access to the house and to Jesus. And she was in great distress. Verse 26 teaches us that she was a Greek a Syrophoenician by nation. This meant she was not a Hebrew. She's not very well versed in all of the traditions of the Jews, all the ceremonies of the Old Testament. She wasn't taught the Bible as a child, didn't know the Old Testament scriptures, knew very little, therefore, of the Old Testament religion. Her name, Syrophoenician, and a Greek identify her, first of all, spiritually as a pagan that's what she was taught from her youth how to worship idols how to be superstitious how to do things to appease the gods so they wouldn't get angry with her or her family and do bad things to her and to do all the rituals of that paganism to appease the gods which ruled she thought in unbelief her life and apparently that's what we would expect her to have taught her daughter. But now she had come to realize the utter misery of that paganism when her daughter not only worships the idols that 
they did, but now her daughter is possessed by the devils that were in that idol worship. Being Syrophoenician, we also know she lived in the Mediterranean, on the plain of the Mediterranean Sea and the northern borders of Galilee, which indicates she had some contact with the people who traveled on the main roads out of Galilee into Syrophoenicia, up, down, up the highway towards Antioch. And along those routes, she had contact with the Jews. She comes to Jesus because her daughter is bound in unspeakable misery. Her daughter was possessed by a devil, which meant the girl's mind wasn't her own. In her worship with her mother of the pagan idols, somewhere along the line in that worship, the devils associated with that idolatry took control of this girl's mind and body to make her do horrible and evil things. She was then abused by the devils for their evil purpose of darkness over against God. And in that spiritual bondage to those devils, she lived in the lie, in ungodliness and unrighteousness under the rule of Satan. Horrible. And it's with this load of distress seeing the misery in her child, seeing the evil that this bondage to idolatry produced in her family, in her home, the woman goes to Jesus, according to verse 25. And because she lived in the coastal plain along the Mediterranean Sea, along the trade routes from the south to the north, she had heard about Jesus. She had heard that he could heal the sick, he could cast out devils, he had done that before, News had spread, and having so heard, she was optimistic that perhaps Jesus could do the same. That information, and according to what we read in the book of Matthew in the parallel passage, shows that the Holy Spirit had already been working in the heart and the soul of that distressed mother. Long before she appeared at the feet of Jesus, she did not hear about Jesus by chance. God governed that news to the Syrophoenician woman. God began working in her heart and mind to see the, the futileness and the horribleness of paganism and the idol worship and now, of course, saw the reality of that in the clear example of her daughter's devil possession. As a result of what she heard from Jews or news that had reached her about this Jesus of Nazareth and being the promised Christ and all of the sermons which he was preaching in Galilee. She comes to Jesus. Really, she is drawn by the Spirit to the feet of Jesus to speak to him face to face. To come to the feet of whom she called the Son of David, which meant she knew this is that Christ I'm hearing about. And at the feet of Jesus, the son of David, she casts her burden upon him. She says, Lord, which is striking. Because remember, she was an idol worshiper. 
Baal was Lord. Baal is God. This shows a remarkable change in her life. There is only one Lord. Jesus, the son of David. There is no Lord beside him. Lord. And she beseeches him that he would kill her devil-possessed daughter. Now, to our surprise, the initial response of Jesus to the woman was not, yes, okay, I will heal your daughter. You go home now and, and you'll find that she's okay. No, that's not the response of Jesus initially. Instead, he tried her initial confession of faith. The Lord is arousing by his word, working in her that gift of believing, of knowing and being convinced of the truth that she's hearing about, but now needs Christ to work that in her by his word. And so he says to her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. Our initial response would be, well, that's rather rude, isn't it? Boy, isn't that abrupt. It even seems a little bit to us unmerciful. But beloved, we must remember at the feet of our chief prophet and teacher, Jesus Christ, he is responding to her request that he do something that's not in his mandate. The mandate that he received was to work with those of the house of Israel. And so what did Jesus mean by this? Let's not take the meat destined for the children and then take that children's bread and give it to the house dogs. What did he mean? Jesus used something that was readily available to them in the house in which he was sitting and having supper with the master of the house. Having the woman in the house, he speaks a parable of something very clear to the woman and clear to us. And in this parable, Jesus makes clear the reality of his earthly ministry at this time in the Old Testament. First of all, when he says children, Jesus is referring to the Jews or the house of Israel. The children of the Jews the children of the house are the Jews under the leadership of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the elders, the chief priests, and so on. And Jesus teaches, even so, these children must first be set, be set before the table and presented the food upon that table. They are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as for the Greeks, like this woman, she must wait. And now the parable helps to explain that. Jesus says, just as it would not be proper for you to go home and your mothers to take the food that is your right as children and take that beautiful food, that delicious meal, and then you're all seated around the table and to take that food and go over and give it to the house dog, we would protest. That dog doesn't have the right to the, to the roast and the potatoes and the vegetables. 
We do. We are your children, Mom. What are you doing? That's not proper. So Jesus teaches this woman for me to take this feast of the bread and the water of life and now to set it before you, that would not be proper. It is not time for me, Jesus teaches her, to go out into the, into the Roman Empire to bring that feast of the bread and the water of life. Not yet. The children of the house must be presented with the meal first. And if they reject it, then it may be given to the little house dogs. When the Jews reject that word which is preached to them, and as we know, they crucify the word, Jesus Christ himself, then the word goes to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. Now, for the woman, Syrophoenician mother and her child, does that mean all hope is lost now? That's the end of the story? And it's, it's not time yet. You'll need to come back in a couple of years. Would the daughter be left in her devil possession? Would the, this distressed mother, distressed for the salvation of herself and the soul of her child, be left in limbo, be hanging now for several years? No. The Lord speaks this word and by his spirit is arousing and working out of her a remarkable expression of her faith, of her activity of believing. First, in verse 28, she said, Yes, Lord, yes. Yes. And then the words, yet the dogs. First she says, yes, Lord. She reverences Jesus as the Lord, the sovereign one. Not only sovereign over all things, but sovereign in his authority with his word. She doesn't argue with him, who is the chief prophet and teacher. His word is authoritative. It's sovereign. He is, yes, correct. I submit myself to thee, O Lord. And yes, Lord, there are little dogs in the house. Right now. Referring to the spiritual reality, of course, she meant, I'm not a child in this house. I'm not a Jew. I cannot be called a child of the Master's house. That is true because I'm a Syrophoenician. I'm an idol worshiper. Yes, I'm an alien to Israel. I am like one of these little house dogs here in the home. I'm a visitor. However, she said to Jesus, Yet the dogs are under the table, that are under the table, eat of the children's crumbs. Yes, Lord, I am one of those little dogs. But Lord, those little dogs are in the house, where thou art, where the master is. And she is given the grace to seize on that reality, just as the owner of the house had allowed the little dogs to sit under the table and maybe some food fell off the plate and plop on the floor and well the dogs would go there and lick it up and the master didn't chase the dogs out of the house let them be there so also Jesus that which the parable points to 
Jesus did not, when the Syrophoenician mother came in the house, chase her out of the house. You mayn't be here. It's not time yet. Get out. No. Just like the master allowed the little house dogs to sit under the table, waiting for the crumbs to fall, so Jesus permits the woman, really had drawn the woman into his presence in obedience to his Father in heaven. He approved of her presence, and the woman seizes on that reality, on the hope that she has in Jesus. Just as the master didn't chase the little house dogs out of the house, so the Lord hasn't sent me away empty. Though I don't deserve a place in the house, like the little house dogs next to the master, yet the Lord has let me sit here or stand here before him, and he is speaking to me. He is imparting to me the word, the food for my soul, the food for my family. He's laying before me the table and not just giving me a few crumbs either. He's giving me a feast of the bread and the water of life for me and for my daughter. And surely she understood, I am not the main work of the Lord in his ministry. It isn't a time for the gospel to go out in the New Testament to the nations of the earth. Nevertheless, the Lord has been merciful to me to speak unto me his word, this parable. A parable of salvation to her and her daughter. And beloved, is that not the kind of faith and the expression of faith we desire Christ to work in us also by his word? A faith which is humble. A faith whereby, just like the woman, the Syrophoenician mother, she did not trust in her works. How could she? She was a pagan. What could she point to in her life and say, well, that, there it is. There's a work that's going to impress Jesus? No. Nothing. She came to him empty. So also we desire that faith. We don't trust in our works. How many times we've gone to church? No. How many sermons we've preached? No. How many diapers we've changed? No. Nothing. None of that will save us from the wrath of God and his curse. None of that will cover up our sin in the sight of God. None of it. Nothing will gain for us something we don't have in Christ by faith. No. That's the faith by which the woman and we know ourselves as sinners. Of ourselves guilty, unworthy. Of ourselves we would be lost under the tyranny of the devil just like her daughter inescapable darkness unable to speak the truth of the reality of ourselves or of Christ and in that humility she embraced the Lord's comparison woman you're like the little house dogs we might say well that's kind that, that's rude isn't it no no it isn't We must confess, yes, Lord, I am like one of those little house dogs. That's it. 
and I should be sent out of the house empty. But I'm not. Because Christ and the Father are merciful to me. And that's her focus. Christ. Not on her idols anymore. Not on what she could do. Oh no. Focused on Christ. Her mediator. In fact in Matthew she speaks of Jesus as the son of David. Which is the Christ. Focused on the mediator of the covenant. And she believed that this Christ was hers and her daughters and this Christ would cover in his blood their home in the sight of God so that the curse of God for their sin which they deserved would not fall on them he would take it away and upon them he would bring God's blessing by a wonder absolute wonder of grace she looks to Christ for all of her righteousness before God and all of her life with God in his covenant, in his holiness, by his spirit. And thirdly, that's the faith which is most thankful as it focuses on Christ for what he is for you and me and our covenant seed with God. Now the text doesn't explicitly, I understand, doesn't explicitly say she was thankful Sometimes it does, and the miracles which Jesus does and are recorded here in Mark. Nevertheless, there is throughout this exchange with Jesus already ingredients of that which is a thankful faith and a thankful covenant home. Number one, she worshiped the Lord. That is thankfulness. Number two, she was humble before the Lord. She didn't act like, well, I deserve to be in this house with the Lord. Oh, no, I am a little house dog. And that's what I will be always of myself, of myself, zero, nothing. In Christ, there's my worth. That's a thankful faith. Number three, she embraces the word. She doesn't reject what the scriptures teach or what Christ from the scriptures teaches about herself. Oh, no. Yes, Lord. Yes, to all of God's word and that which she was beginning to understand. That's a thankful faith. And then she confesses her faith in Christ. Lord. Or as Matthew teaches, Jesus, the son of David, the Christ. She looks to him and the work that Jesus would do in his, in his crucifixion and his resurrection for all of her salvation. And having embraced the word, confessing her faith before Jesus Christ, we would expect when she went home, she would have spoken to her neighbors. She would have told, as Jesus commanded the man who was healed in Mark chapter 5, she would go home and tell the wonders of, the, of what the Lord had done for her and her daughter and had compassion or mercy on them. You see, when one is called out of darkness, the kind of darkness described by the devil possession of this daughter and her mother who was right with her in that misery, when one is called out of that darkness of unbelief into the freedom 
of the light and the glory of God in Jesus Christ and in a knowledge of the truth which sets us free, what else can that redeemed, sanctified soul do except show forth the praise of the Lord who does this wonder and does this wonder knowing that this is God's promise which he is fulfilling a promise which he made to Abraham already that in Abraham and his seed which is Christ all the nations of the earth would be blessed that is all those of the world of his redemption would be blessed and here is proof through Jesus Christ the true prophet that the word of Jehovah does not fail for that we are thankful and that's the faith of which Christ is the author and the faith which Jesus acknowledged then in the text he said to her for this thy saying now go thy way on account of your confession then now it is time for you to go. Yes, on account of this thy saying, on account of this faith, this true confession of faith. Now what Jesus did not mean is, well, because of your faith, well, now I'm going to do a miracle. And on the basis of that faith and on the ground of that faith or the foundation of your faith, well, now you deserve this miracle be done to your daughter. He didn't mean that at all. Faith is not a hinge, a non-meritorious type of hinge on which your salvation spins or turns. No. Faith is also the gift of God, of which Christ is the author and finisher. And out of that faith come the good works, of which the Holy Spirit is the admirable author, as the confessions teach. Jesus is teaching here is, now that you have made this confession of faith, because you have done this, now it is the time for you to move on to the next stage of my work with you, which is go home and see a picture of the wonder of God's grace to you and to your daughter in me. And so she goes home to have her faith confirmed. Verse 29, Jesus says to her, Go home. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. That's the word of Christ. And hearing that word, this woman having faith, did not go home wondering, well, I wonder if what Jesus said is true. Doubting perhaps that, well, maybe my daughter is still possessed with the devil when I get home. Faith is of the nature having heard the word of the true prophet of Jehovah, faith does not doubt that word of Christ. She goes home expecting that her daughter would be delivered. And when she comes home, so it is. The word of Christ is true. As Jesus said, she was sitting up on her bed in her right mind, able to speak. She could speak to her about what just happened and who she met could, could teach her about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, could speak of the mercy which God had to them now, and they would forsake their idol worship, and those who walked in that evil speak to them of that, and pray the Lord would bring them to Jesus also in conversion and true faith in him. 
And together they saw in that sign, that miracle, that now she was no longer under the tyranny of the devil that possessed her, now under the dominion of Christ. They saw in that miracle a sign of the grace of God to them in Jesus Christ, who would die for them and arise again the third day for their justification. Which is a salvation, not just for adults, but this miracle makes clear the, the salvation which God promises to us in Jesus Christ is a household salvation to believers and their seed in the generations according to God's promise and purpose. That confirmed her faith. Reminds us of the day when Elijah went to the widow of Zarephath. After Elijah raised her son from the dead, then she said, Now I know of a truth. Thou art a true prophet. Thy word is true. That would be a similar conclusion that this woman, not as though she arrived at that at this point, but would have made that confession before her neighbors. You see, that Jesus of whom I spoke, you see the miracle? Now we know. He is the true prophet of Jehovah. He is Lord of all. He can cast out devils out of my daughter, not even being in the house. He's way over there, and she's in this house, and he speaks, and the devil's gone. He's the Lord. Number two, he's merciful to whomsoever he has decided from eternity to be merciful. And so deciding, his will does not change. He will be merciful, and that mercy to us endures forever. He is the Lord, then thirdly, of that salvation which is neither merited, as the Pharisees were trying to teach, or deserved, as the Pharisees were trying to teach, because they were the children of Abraham, you know. They had that pedigree. That's what got them in the kingdom. Jesus says no. It's neither willed, it's neither merited, it's neither made effectual by our hand. The salvation which the Lord gives to you and to your seed is sovereignly omnipotent, free because of his perfect atonement, and unconditionally and irresistibly efficacious by his spirit in and through us. That's a faith which is rooted on a firm foundation, an unshakable foundation which gives us hope and strength and confidence to get up tomorrow morning and to teach the children to go to work, do our labors in his kingdom. That's a solid foundation in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, do we not desire those same gracious results for ourselves, as the Lord works by his word in us, his, our faith. Let us then not continue in any sort of unbelief. Let us not try to trust in ourselves, trust in our wisdom. Let us not be lazy in unbelief, lazy in disobedience to God's commandments. Let us not despair of his mercy when 
the speed or the rate at which our children are growing up in the fear of the Lord isn't quite going the way we as parents would want that to happen. It does not despair of his mercy and how he even works his salvation in us. And as we get older, we begin to despair. Is the Lord actually saving us when we see how sinful we are by nature and how much sin pollutes everything we do? Let us believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that the word he speaks to you and me, fulfilled in his resurrection and on his death, is true. He will accomplish that which he promises to you and to your seed. Trust in him for complete deliverance from the guilt of sin so that he will give us peace through his shed blood and by the, the working of the Spirit he will also give us the deliverance from the corruption and the power of sin by the working of his spirit. Also through the word that he delivers to you and me through the preaching of the gospel. Look to him as the only ground of your, of your salvation, the only hope for your home. Because of him you are worthy, only him you are worthy of his blessing. Believe, beloved, that our Lord Jesus Christ, our chief prophet and teacher, will come to you in his life-sustaining, faith-arousing word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will work faith in you through tribulation, through trial, to draw out of you, but he draw, drew out of this woman a faithful confession of Christ. Lord, the Christ, my God. Amen. Let us pray. Most merciful and gracious God in heaven, we give thanks to thee for the faith out its work in the Syrophoenician woman and her home. Be pleased in thine infinite mercy to also work this faith in us and our children, granting us that clarity of spiritual eyesight to see Christ face to face in his word, to have our confession sharpened concerning ourselves and concerning his glory and that which he has made us in himself by his spirit. May we go forth from thy presence confirmed by the wonder of thy grace and the truth that we have in Christ, being neither boastful of ourselves and proud, but humbly thankful and joyful in thee. In Jesus' name we pray.